0: As you remain standing, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We pray now, Father, that by your grace, you might open our hearts that we might know what it is to follow Jesus, that we might see him and be made his forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, dear friends, this is not just our first communion service in our new space, but Also the first Sunday in the season of Epiphany, the season where we celebrate Jesus being revealed as Savior of the entire world, both Jew and Gentile. It is a wonderful time to speak about how the church is called to follow Christ's command, to make him known throughout the world. After all, we here at St. Aidan's, we say that we are about praising and proclaiming Jesus Christ that we are about making and equipping disciples of all generations who can faithfully share the saving love of Jesus Christ. That is who we are. That is what we do. That is the mission we are called to fulfill here in this place. Well, to do any of that, we have to make Jesus known, don't we? And so to help us think through what it means to bring Jesus to the world, to make disciples. During this Epiphany season, we're going to look at conversion accounts from the book of Acts. We want to see how the church in her earliest days went about the task of proclaiming Jesus and making disciples of all nations. Throughout this series, we will see individuals and groups of people have their hearts captured by the gospel, and we begin with the account of Philip witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch. In this story, our basic premises are established, that the church is called to go, that she is empowered to share, and that she brings the joy of the gospel. So let's dive in together, either in your your bulletin or in the study book. Let's take a look at this passage from Acts 8 by looking first at how the church, embodied by Philip, is called to go. Our account opens with an angel of the Lord telling Philip to head south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip has been in Samaria, where he has preached the gospel with wonderful effect as many came to believe in Jesus there. And we'll get to read that even more next week as we dive into that passage. But what we can note now is the somewhat surprising fact that the Lord calls Philip away from what appears to be a very successful ministry and sends him in the exact opposite direction to a place that really doesn't seem to make much sense at all. Philip is called to preach the gospel, and the Lord sends him to what Luke tells us is a desert place. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty counterintuitive to me. Philip's been preaching where the crowds are, and people are hearing the gospel. Many are being converted, and now the Lord is here sending this successful evangelist to the middle of nowhere. It would be like going up to Billy Graham during his heyday and say, you know, those rallies you're doing, thousands of people hearing the gospel and coming to faith in Jesus, those are wonderful, but I want you to stop. What you need to do now is go to some cornfield in the middle of nowhere with no one around. That's what I want you to do. It makes absolutely no sense. If you're like me, you would look at that and think, why there? You don't go fishing in a desert, right? You've got to go where the, the people are. Surely the right answer is to find the most populated place, plant yourself in the middle of it, and start preaching. Sometimes that is the right answer. Sometimes the Lord calls us to go where everybody is. And sometimes he calls us to go where it seems like nobody is hearing the gospel. The point is simply this, no matter where she is called to go, the church must go. Sure enough, the Lord knows that as Philip is traveling the road, he's going to see a single man, a eunuch, an Ethiopian, and that man is the one that Philip needs to share the gospel with. We're told that this eunuch is an important man. He's an official in the court of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he is charged over all her treasure. It's to that one individual that Philip has been called to preach. Again, strategically, this is not the plan we would come up with, right? Why go to one when you can go to the crowds? Well, as we read, it turns out that this eunuch... He hears the gospel and he receives it with joy. And as verse 19 tells us, after having been baptized, he goes on his way rejoicing. He is filled with the joy that comes from faith in Jesus. See, Philip would have had no idea why he was called to this one person on this lonely road. And yet the Lord saw fit to call him so that one crucial person in the court of a foreign queen could hear the gospel and receive and rejoice in the goodness of Jesus. Because of that, because one faithful person called and followed by Jesus Because he went and proclaimed the good news one person faithfully received it and now that one person goes on his way back to a land that has never heard the name of Jesus before. And he is rejoicing. He is praising the name of Jesus as he goes because Philip faithfully followed when he was called. The gospel enters a land it had never been before. That is what God can do through his people when his people hear the call and go. When his people hear the Lord's command to make disciples of all nations, to go and open our mouths. It's the call that is actually within our Anglican DNA. You see it in the missionary movement, in the lives of these missionaries that Anglican evangelicals in the 18th century sent out throughout the world so that lands that had never heard the gospel before could hear the name of Jesus and be saved. It is the call that God places upon His church. It's something I've seen in my own life where I have now been called to serve in three very different cities in the last 11 years. That's what hearing the call of God can be sometimes. Literally getting up and moving to different parts of the world. It's the part that we don't want to hear, right? (laughs) Other times, it is simply the call to go over to that one person across the room and speak to them. That's what's in our text. There's two different calls here. Isn't there? Look at the text. You can see it. The first call is to Philip to go down that road, to go to that place, to where this eunuch would be. But then that second call comes go over and speak with him. That's the one you need to talk to, Philip. He answers both of them, and this, man, this man's life is changed. The church is called to go, friends. And we as individual members of the church must be ready and willing to answer that call when it comes, whether it's literally moving to a different part of the country or the province of the world, or whether it's simply the call to go over and have a conversation with your neighbor. I'll admit there's times where I actually might be more afraid of the latter. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when we are called to go... It's not just that we're called to go and be somewhere. When we are called, we are empowered to share. Verse 29, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord commands Philip to go over to the eunuch's chariot and to join him. And when Philip does so, he finds the eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah. It turns out this man believes in God. He had just been in Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. Seeing this, Philip asks him if he understands what it is that he's reading. It's actually a bit of a bold question. As we've said, this is an important man. He's in charge of the entire treasure of the court of the queen. His high position in Candace's court meant that he was capable and intelligent. He was wealthy enough to be able to purchase a scroll, and he's educated enough to actually be able to read it. But this important man, as capable and as intelligent as he is, this capable man has his heart softened by the Lord. And he shows wonderful humility. He answers Philip's question, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone guides me? I got to say, friends... I didn't expect this when I started preparing this sermon. This was the question that got me. This is the question that cuts to the very heart of the church's mission and it shows what a tragedy it is when we don't follow the call to go nor open our mouths to speak the truth of Jesus Christ. We rightly lament when people do not believe or when our culture goes in anti-Christian directions. Yet we must acknowledge that part of that fault lies squarely at the feet of the church herself. For many years, decades even, we as a church have assumed that people knew what they needed to know about Jesus. We've assumed that everyone was a Christian. And not only that, but we actually agreed on what it meant to be a Christian. And so for decades within the church, errors went unchallenged and false gospels spread like wildfire. How can I understand unless someone guides me? Friends, how can our non believing friends and family understand the gospel? How can they know the error of a lack of faith if the people of God are unwilling to speak the truth of God? How can we expect our culture to make life affirming decisions, to genuinely care for those in need, to take care of the poor and the widow and the orphan? How can we ever expect that when hearts have not been changed by Jesus because his church has not been preaching his love and his gospel? This statement from the eunuch should sit on our hearts and in our minds every single time we think of those we love who do not know the gospel. How can people know if the church will not speak? Now, this is where the fear comes in, isn't it? This is when the questions start. Well, what happens if I speak? What happens to my relationship with that person if I tell them that Jesus came to die for them? What happens to them when I tell them that they need to repent of their sin? What happens if they reject him? What happens if they reject me? What happens if they think I look weird or, or, or quaint or old-fashioned or out of touch with reality or, or everybody's favorite saying these days, on the wrong side of history? What happens then? It's part of why I love this account so much. Because Philip isn't coming to the eunuch and hammering him with the gospel. He's not hitting him over the head. He's not listing all the things the eunuch has ever done wrong in his life. No. He simply follows the call to go. And he comes alongside this man exactly where he is. Here's what I mean by that. Philip can see that this man is reading about God. And so he connects with him on that ground. Although this moment has been supernaturally orchestrated, Philip's conversation with the eunuch is completely natural. He uses a common point of interest to witness about Jesus. They have something to connect about. In this case, it's God's word. We often get nervous about evangelizing, don't we? I do. It's okay to admit it. But part of why we do is because we get ourselves wrapped up with how and when we're supposed to do it. How do I do this right? How do I know what to say? How do I, how do I communicate in the most effective way? We get ourselves so worked up about it, we just think, you know what, I've got to do it as many times as I possibly can. And so we turn every single conversation we have into one about Jesus. You walk in the room and your friend's watching a shark documentary and you're like, hey, you know who created the sharks? Jesus. They're packing a lot of boxes. Hey, you know who who thinks outside the box all the time? Jesus. I speak from experience. But I can tell you from experience that the most effective moments of evangelism tend to happen like they did right here, through common point of interest, through natural conversation, through the Spirit orchestrating the moment. As friends, most of the time we just get in the way. I can think of friends and family over the past few years who've been struggling to process what, what we've all been going through, right? And they've asked me what I think, and I get to talk about it. I had one friend in particular, he, he likes to tell me how calm I am about this stuff all the time. <laughs> and admittedly, I gotta kind of take a moment and I wonder how well my friend actually knows me as if maybe we've never actually had a conversation because calm is not how I think most people would describe me. But I get to share with him that, yeah, we've been going through a lot and I have questions and I have concerns and I have fears even, but I do know Jesus. And so while I have those, I know that he's got me, that I'm his, and so things will end well. I think about a moment that I saw recently that has struck with me, and I, I hope actually the, the effect that it's had on me doesn't leave. I was watching ESPN, it's the main sports channel in the U.S. Some of you have probably heard about the, uh, the Buffalo Bills player who collapsed on the field last Monday night went into cardiac arrest. And he needed to be resuscitated on the field. It was, a, it was a shocking and unsettling moment, to say the least. Well, a couple days later, some commentators were talking about what had happened, and one of them said, you know, people see a tragedy in someone's life, and they respond, oh, thoughts and prayers. Right? We all say that. Thoughts and prayers. And the guy said, well, this guy needs my prayer, and So I'm not just going to say thoughts and prayers. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray for him. And right there on cable TV, on a sports channel, not a Christian one, a sports channel, one commentator, actually a former Lions player, Dan Orlovsky, prayed for this player who was suffering. He prayed for him to be healed. He prayed for God's love and his protection. I got to actually see it live. And as I'm watching it, I got so excited that he was doing this. I'm like, I can't believe this. He's gonna pray on TV. Like, that just doesn't happen anymore. I can't believe this is gonna happen. I got myself so excited, I didn't even pray with him. <laughs> kind of quickly slid in Amen in a couple minutes later. At That moment, even though it wasn't about evangelism, it was evangelistic. Make no mistake. How many people like me got to watch that live? How many people get to watch it later on, on a replay? And maybe hear a prayer like they've never heard it before. It wasn't contrived. It wasn't odd. It was genuine. And it spoke to something that anyone watching could connect with. I have no doubt that it was empowered by the Lord and used by Him. Not just. Evangelistically, but also in that player has continued to make steady progress back to health. Prayer is often that point of contact, isn't it? How many times do we see friends or family struggling and they're like, Would you please pray for me? Even if they don't really have faith, or maybe just kind of a tiny bit of faith, but they don't really know about Jesus, they're sort of God positive. They ask you to pray and we say, yeah, you're in my prayers. I'll definitely pray for you. That's not a bad response, but what about actually doing it right there, right in front of them, praying with and for them right there? Not only would we be modeling what prayer looks like, but we'd be witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ at the same time. Verse 35 tells us that Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture in Isaiah, told him the good news about Jesus. He opened his mouth and the spirit empowered him. He witnessed to this eunuch from a natural point of contact. In that case, the word of God. How can I understand unless someone guides me? How can people know their need for Jesus unless we speak for him? How will they know unless Christians are willing to open our mouths and speak the truth of the gospel? Trusting in the Holy Spirit to make the moment happen and then giving us the words to speak. I can't promise you what will happen in that moment. But what I can promise you is that in sharing the gospel with others, we are offering them the greatest thing they will ever hear. We offer them nothing less than life-changing joy. We know this eunuch believed in God. He was coming back from the temple. He's gone up to worship him. The thing is, though, we also know that the, the eunuch could only get so far. He was never fully going to be a part of the people because Deuteronomy 12, 23 tells us that no eunuch could ever be fully brought into the assembly of the people. He would always be considered an outsider, even if he believed. He wouldn't be part of the worshiping community because of the fact that he was a eunuch. It made him ritually unclean. Now just think about that for a minute. Imagine you're him. Imagine you believe in God. Imagine you believe in Jesus. But you're told you can never be a part of the church. Imagine if we said to you, you can come out, but you can't come in here, and you cannot interact with any of us. Maybe we'll prop the door open. So you could hear. Your faith is gonna suffer, isn't it? You're not really gonna be part of the people, are you? The eunuch says to Philip, How can I understand unless someone guides me? Because He couldn't be a part of the assembled people. No one would ever guide him. And then someone comes along and says, Guess what? You can come in. Put yourself in the eunuch's shoes and imagine hearing that. The fact that you're a eunuch, you're not excluded anymore. That's what this man's hearing. Philip explains the gospel. He shares the gospel with him. And this man is told, this man who's been an outsider his entire life, that he can come in and be in full relationship with the God he already loves. At some point, Philip would have mentioned baptism to him. We know that because in verse 36, the eunuch sees water and he's like, don't stop me. Let me be baptized. Let me come in. He would have never been allowed to enter the temple in Jerusalem, but through faith and baptism he is brought fully in to the people of God because Jesus came to save him. He is no longer an outsider. It's one of the things that baptism does. It's the sign of being brought in from the outside and being made a part of the people of God, being united to Jesus. That is what this outsider is hearing for the very first time, that he can belong, that he can be a part of the body of Christ. Now, friends, I'm assuming we don't know any eunuchs. Maybe we do. I don't know. But I guarantee we know people who think what this eunuch did who feel like he did, that they're an outsider and there's no way that they can belong. In fact, maybe some of us feel that way. This tells us that belonging to Jesus, it isn't about your race or your gender or your education level, even all the good things you've done and how nice you are to people. Belonging to Jesus is about hearing and accepting the good news that Christ died for you and submitting to him by faith and baptism. It's what that passage that this eunuch was reading from Isaiah told him. That he who has never belonged now does. Little wonder then, having been united to Christ, the eunuch would go away rejoicing. This is what the church has to offer, friends. And without a doubt, there are countless people around us who feel exactly like this eunuch does, who, who genuinely and genuinely believe in God, but they don't feel like they can be brought in, because they've never really heard the gospel, and they've never heard it because we haven't brought it to them. They have heard over and over and over again that they can't be accepted, They can't be forgiven. They can't have peace with God. And so rather than turning to the church and finding all that, they believe in the lie of our culture that says just just look inside yourself. Find peace within you. Friends, we bring the joy of the gospel to the world. The truth that we can be forgiven. That we who are alienated and separated from our Father can be made His forever, to live in perfect love relationship with Him. That is what we bring when the church hears the call and speaks. Go, therefore, dear church, in the joy of the gospel. Go where the Lord calls you and be willing to open your mouth and speak about Jesus. For in Him alone salvation, life, and unspeakable joy